0: Well, hello and welcome to today's episode of Q on Q. Whether you've tuned in to a previous episode and are a returned listener, or whether you're listening for the first time, welcome. For this week's episode, there is a note guide available for you. We encourage you to download it and follow along and fill it in as we go. It's available at our website, qonq.com. Well, today is the final part of a series I've had going for a few weeks on the topic of guardrails, and if you weren't able to tune into the past two episodes, I'd encourage you to go back and listen, but here's a super quick summary of what we've discussed so far. Guardrails in our lives are an important and complex topic. They're defined as a protective railing along a path, road, or stairway, or a safety barrier used to keep us from harm's way. Most of us take them for granted, but guardrails are important barriers between us and certain danger. A lot of troubles or troubling events in our lives could probably have been avoided or minimized if we had guardrails or boundaries in our lives. It's the old one thing leads to another idea. For some of us, guardrails are good habits, for others, they're trustworthy friends or spiritual leaders, and for others, they're scriptures, and for many of us, they are the inward nudging of the Holy Spirit, or a combination of all of the above. Some of us think we don't need guardrails until something happens that is bad or involves regret, and suddenly what was just something fun to do, or a pastime, or what we thought was a single, isolated thought or event, becomes a pathway that has the potential to wreck and ruin our lives. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we rely on him to take us to a whole new level. Instead of having to fight our own battles, we are called to allow the Holy Spirit to take up residence and do a work in us, allowing the Holy Spirit to tap on our conscience and our experience leads us to make wise decisions, smart plans, and be obedient to God's will. There are many tangible things you can use to help you in these situations. Put yourself in a scenario where it's difficult to hear the voice of the enemy, get off social media for a bit, go a different direction when you drive, or surround yourself with people who keep telling you the truth. Who we choose to spend our time with can really affect us. Plus, we tend to be more vulnerable when we're around people we're comfortable with. So choose people wisely. And, of course, create healthy habits for yourself and establish systems of discipline. So those are a few of the things we've talked about so far. Today, I want to talk a little bit about applying practical, visible guardrails to your everyday life by focusing on the major areas of finances and our schedules, and wrapping up this series by putting you on a trajectory of having meaningful guardrails in your life. Every once in a while, I'm sure some of you look at your neighbors and think, wow, look at that new boat, look at that new car. Look at that big addition they put on their house. I wonder, though, if any of us have ever wondered what we would own if we didn't know what everyone else already had. How much money could we have saved if we didn't know what everyone else was spending their money on? How much money would we have been able to give away? The problem is is that we know too much about what others have that we don't. Okay, let's look at that new boat that the neighbor bought. Did you see that that really nice tractor the guy down the street has? Did you hear that the Joneses were going to Paris for two weeks? You know, this information makes us sometimes really discontent and lures us to the edge of disaster because we feel the need to buy things that we can't afford and don't need, taking us nearer and nearer to the cliff, trying to satisfy our appetite for stuff. And when we focus on what others have, our appetite really is never satisfied. When we talk about guardrails in our finances, we're talking about personal rules or behaviors that we set for ourselves that become a matter of conscience with our money. So why is talking about guardrails for our finances important? A recent national survey of hundreds of pastors showed that one of the topics pastors most often address in counseling sessions is money. Actually, When you think about it, most issues are really related to money, directly or indirectly. And the topic of money is one area of Jesus' teaching that is most often disregarded. When I talk about guardrails related to your money and your finances, I'm not talking about just how to stay out of debt, how to avoid bankruptcy, how to spend this or not spend this, or stay out of pitfalls money can sometimes create. It's really much deeper than that. You could be completely out of debt have everything paid off, have tons of money in the bank, own tons of properties, and still be in a financial ditch. In his teaching, Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. In Matthew six twenty four, he says this in the NIV. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In this passage, the one master Jesus is referring to isn't a boss or a manager, it's, it's more of an owner. In the direct translation, the word master here actually means owner or possessor of something. For Jesus, the primary issue isn't the money at all. The main issue is mastery, ownership, control of the money. So the question I'll ask you here to reflect on is one that people don't often like to hear and one that people really don't want to be confronted with, and that's this. Do we own money, or does money own us? Money and what it promises can be a major competitor for your heart. You may have a great budget, no debt, no bankruptcy, but without guardrails of some sort, you could easily fall into a major trap, and that's the trap of greed. Now, you might say to me, how dare you call me greedy? I'm not greedy at all. Well, if you keep money and stash it away to use for what you think is best, or if you just buy, 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 buy stuff, or constantly upgrade and get stuff you want without thinking about it, without discussing it with your spouse, and most importantly, without praying about it, if you are a mass spender or mass hoarder for the gain of personal finances for you, then you're guilty of this. This is because greed is an assumption that all you have placed in your hands, your checking account, your IRA, is for you and your consumption, and your use. And if you choose to give some of what is designed for you to someone else, you hope God is watching. Now, before you get all bent out of shape and say, stop being so judgmental, I'm just saving for my retirement, or I got to pay for my kid's college education. Well, first, I addressed being judgmental last time. Here, I'm just speaking from experience. Trust me, I've been there. If we allow ourselves to be driven by consumption, hoarding, or any way that we want our money to work for us, we're acting like we're completely in control. And I know we have free will, but it's our choice to make all of our own decisions or give over to God our life for his guidance and will for our lives. And that includes our money. And most of the time, we don't give God an invitation to get involved with our money because we think we know what's best. Or we do extend that invitation, but we wait until we get into trouble with money before we do so. We choose to make money the master over God. Ouch. Yes, that might hurt a little bit. I'll say that again. We choose to make money the master over God. If you would pray to invite God into your finances when there's a problem, why wouldn't you invite him before there was? The way you set guardrails for yourself financially is to set priorities for your money. Godly priorities and principles. Do you do a monthly budget? Do you think about where your money goes or what you spend it on each month? Is your first priority to give, to save, or to live? When you put to live first, you are mastered by your money, showing that you want to be in control of it. What does Jesus call us to do? Flip that order. When you master your money, you give first and then save and live on what's left. Now I know there's many different philosophies, even amongst Christian authors and teachers about what order and how much of your money should go towards, towards what, but this is universal. Giving is always first. So I want to share our personal experience with you in this regard. Um, A little over four years ago, my wife and I attended a small group at our church and followed through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. And no, this is not an endorsement for that particular program, though I can say it was life-changing for us. I just want to share our experience with you. Up until then, we had no plan. We lived month to month. We gave whatever spare bills were in our wallets, sometimes cashed in the rolled change to get extra things each month. And this is coming from someone who's done fairly well in income. We never went hungry, the lights always stayed on, but our money always seemed to be disappearing by the end of the month. The fact was that we needed a plan. So then we gave our money identity. We gave each penny a name and a purpose. We made giving a priority, then paying for all necessary utilities and food, then paying down debt with as much extra as we could each month, all while still allowing us to do the things we needed to do for living each month. Were there some months we had to say no to things? Yeah. Were there months we strayed from the wagon? Sure were. But here's the trick. In the bigger picture, we no longer let our money control us through frivolous spending or unneeded whimsical desires. We had a plan. And that doesn't mean that we didn't spend. If there was something big that we needed or something we identified, we saved for it. And here we are five years later. Yes, we still have some debt, but we've paid a lot down. Yes, we still have a ways to go, but we're seeing success. You see, if we did not prioritize our finances and put guardrails in place for our spending, we could have continued spiraling in the way we were, and I could be sitting here as a teacher in my 23rd year telling you that I have no money left each month. But I'm grateful to say that's not the case. So you might be asking, what can I do to apply this guardrail in my life? Well, first I would ask this question. Does money, stuff, does binge spending do things, take first place in life's priorities. Take a look at what you've purchased in the last few years. I challenge you to actually go back and take a look at your checkbook or your bank register and see what you've spent above and beyond what you need to live on each month. What are ways and areas where you could make a game plan to rein in your finances a little bit? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't ever enjoy things. My family and I love to pick up that overpriced coffee once in a while or that really good Chick-fil-A meal, but it's accounted for and it's not a priority. Some of us need to take a hard look at the little places because sometimes it's in the little places that we find bigger issues, and sometimes it's in those places we see things that are connected to other issues. We don't want money to win, and Jesus certainly didn't want money to win either. He doesn't want us to worry about our money and the future and what we need to do with it. He reminds us of this, Matthew 6, 31 through 33, and this is the English Standard Version. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And just as important as it is to put guardrails in place for our finances, what about our calendars? Sometimes I look at my schedule and think, Good grief, why did I schedule so many things? We have this practice here, and I have this meeting here, and a rehearsal then, and this thing there. So why are we so busy, and what can we do to make sure guardrails for our schedule are effective? The old phrase says you can often tell where a person's priorities are by looking at their checkbook and their calendar. And we've already talked about guardrails with finances, but if someone who doesn't know you were to look at your calendar, what would it show? And before I go on, I'm not here to scold you about working overtime or saying you're a bad person for taking an extra job to pad your retirement or taking that time to go golfing or hang out with your buddies every week. But seriously, if somebody looks at your schedule, can they tell where your priorities are? Let me give you a sample of what one of my weeks look like. Well, starting on Sunday, I typically serve on our worship team a couple times a month, so that's the first part of Sunday, and then we typically do something together as a family, whether it's something out of home or cooking out or playing games or a movie or whatever. Weekdays, I work during the day as a school teacher, and about nine hours of my day is work and travel to and from work, and then I usually spend at least an hour, if not a little more, each night doing some work for school. Our evenings include practices for sports my son is involved in, meetings for organizations I'm involved in, our church life group, worship team practice, team nights, and of course, FaceTiming our daughter who's at college. Saturdays vary widely, so they're really hard to pin down week to week. But from that list, are you able to tell where my priorities are? I hope you would say it's family, faith, and education, because that's what I see on my calendar. Now, I don't share that with you to brag or tell you what your calendar should look like. I just want to be real here. Are there times that I go and just sit and do nothing and surf social media for a half hour when I could have been more productive? Of course. Are there Saturdays I literally sit on the couch till 1030, 11 o'clock just because? <laughs> yes, there are. But I know what effect my calendar can have on my family, my relationships, and my health. You see, for too long, I was a yes man and not in the good way. I wasn't a yes man in the sense that I was saying yes to what my calling was. I was saying yes because I didn't want to disappoint people. I said yes all the time because I always wanted to be the hero. That guy who felt like he could solve everybody's problems. And to be honest, I felt like I needed to be involved in everything. I can also be honest and tell you that acting that way had a toll on me. One on my health because fast food became my friend, stress levels ran high, headaches and late nights were the norm. Several cups, if not more, of coffee per day were my best friend. It took a toll on my relationships. I'll never forget talking with one of my kids about an event they had scheduled in an evening, and this was when they were younger, but um, I remember one of them saying, Dad, are you going to be there, or do you have to work again? And you know, that just about broke my heart and showed me that since I didn't have to be involved in so much, since I didn't have to do all the things I was doing, my priorities had been put in the wrong places. So how do I handle my calendar now? Well, faith and family are always first. Now, of course, I do have to take into consideration my job and things which I must attend or manage for that. But in the other hours, the ones that I get to choose, faith and family are my first priorities. Um, Years ago, I would make excuses about having to go to an event for church. I felt sometimes like I couldn't go to family gatherings because I was so busy with other things, and I missed out on some of them. Now I make sure I always keep regular events in my calendar that prioritize both. We attend life groups at our church on Wednesday evenings. Unless a special one-time event for my family or illness or something like that prevent us from going, we're there every week. We make a point as a family to do things more often. We eat dinner together, most of the time, actually at the table. There's a pastime I almost forgotten about. Most importantly, I prioritize time with God in the mornings. While I used to have a 20-minute car ride where I would just sing at the top of my lungs or yell at other drivers, now it's faith-filled. I talk to God for a bit. Worship for a while, get myself in a good mindset to start my day. When it comes to completing tasks and managing things I have to do, one of the things that have proven incredibly helpful for me, and again, this doesn't work for everyone, is some sort of to-do list. It's seen various formats through the years, from a date book to a half sheet of paper to keeping something on my phone. Currently, I keep a running Google Doc because that works for me. On the left, I add tasks that I know need completed, And I divide them into categories, work, church, hobbies, family, that way I can prioritize things. The right side of the page is a list for that day only. Once a task is moved onto that day's calendar or is completed or is added to my Google Calendar, I remove it from the list. One thing I found super beneficial is seeing some progress. If it's scheduled, it might not be finished, but it's been set in motion for being accomplished. Some people find a day planner helpful. Some people even make notes on cards in their pocket. For me, it's the combination of the calendar that syncs between my phone and computer, along with a dock, that work really well. Plus, my family can see and add things, when needed, to the calendar. Most importantly, for your calendar, prioritizing what's in your schedule and streamlining how it is laid out are the two biggest guardrails you can put in place to make sure that you take ownership of your schedule and that your schedule doesn't take ownership of you. So what guardrails do you have in your life that will help take the impact with you? Is there something you need to add or remove? A system or habit of process you need to put in place? An accountability partner you need to ask for help? Don't allow life to go along and let a giant vehicle come in the darkness speeding down life's highway and knock you off track, and then have nothing in place to help take the impact. Don't Do it alone. Whether it's businesses, friendships, relationships, successes, struggles, faith, or anything else, identify where you need guardrails. Put a plan in place to establish guardrails in those areas. I want you to be ready. God wants you to be ready. He wants you to use every resource He's made available to you to prepare yourself for all this world will hand you so you can stay on the path that He's called you to. Solomon, who many think was one of the wisest people who ever lived, wrote this in Proverbs 4.23, and this is the NIV. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. We've talked in this series about developing guardrails in many areas of your life, but most importantly, all of these guardrails stem from guarding your heart. When we fail to love, when we fail to have faith, when we fall into pits of guilt, anger, greed, many other things, we fall into the danger zone. And establishing guardrails in your life in all of these areas help alert you and help make times of compromise become circumstances and events you will avoid. I look at my kids and what having these guardrails can do for them, and I know I don't want my kids growing up as slaves to consumption. I want them to have stuff, but I don't want their stuff to have them. I don't want my kids growing up to only have a schedule that is so full they miss out on the experiences God has called them to. I do want my kids to feel strong enough to make smart decisions, to say no when it's right to say no, to say yes when it's time to say yes, and to experience their God-given destiny." I pray that during this series, you have found at least one strategy that can help you identify and establish a guardrail in your life. I'm certainly not perfect, and I can tell you that I hit guardrails in my life probably more times than I sometimes want to count. But I know that having them there has allowed me to stay on the path, and I hope that sharing some of my realities and strategies I found that work can help and bless you. I hope that if you need to develop guardrails or reevaluate them, that you can take a look back on the suggestions of outline to put in place what you need to live the life that God has called you to live. Remember, guardrails you establish in your life are a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. It will become much more than what you do or what you say. It will become who you are. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you back here next time. We'll have more for you on Q.